So, Nia, you get to introduce the podcast. Okay. Now, if you don't like this, mm -hmm. you can change it to something else you, that would make you like it more. No, I'm fine. So, whenever you're ready. Ahem. <coughs> <coughs> I'm Nia Meeks, frequent inside story panelist and communication strategist, and you're listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. You have seen Nia Meeks in her role as a frequent panelist on Inside Stories Sundays on 6ABC. What you might not know is that she has a diverse background in communications, politics, in messaging, in storytelling, in journalism and in simply caring about her city, the city of Philadelphia. So my idea, to collaborate with Nia, where each of us offer our three really, really, really big ideas for Philadelphia. We came up with some interesting ones, some elaborate ones, some easy ones, some controversial ones, and some that may not end up even being possible. But the fact of the matter is, Nia and I offer this episode to you because... We are trying to further the conversation about how to improve the lives of people across the region. The three really, really, really big ideas for Philadelphia podcast episode on the True Philadelphia podcast right now. Hello, everyone. I'm Matt O'Donnell here at the True Philadelphia podcast with Nimix. Hey there, Matt. Good to see you. We're in your office in Center City, Philadelphia, a beautiful place. It is a beautiful space that's here in Center City in an undisclosed location. Cheney's <laughs> <laughs> right next to us. <laughs> we're planning on uh, the, the Armageddon here you on know, this earth. We're going to take over the world. That's what we do, Pinky. Sure, sure. It would be a much better place with you and I running things, but that's not why we're here talking. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I wanted to do is so everyone sees you on Inside Story as a panelist. And that's a periodic thing. But you do have a job. I do. <laughs> so tell people just a little bit about yourself, Nia. Well, I am a communications strategist. And so basically right now I'm working in the legal field. But I also work in politics. I've also consulted with small businesses. And I am someone who continues to freelance as a writer because I am trained as a journalist. And I will always be a journalist. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. But really at the end of the day, I help people manage messages and whatever form of media, whichever form of platform, whether it's social media, whether it's traditional media, and trying to figure out the best way to get what they need to have come across to people. And I put it together and help disseminate their message to the world. You're a thinker. I like and a doer. So. I like to think. And, and a communicator. Do. I do all of that and more. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea was I sent you an email yes. a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, hey, you want to do a podcast? And you're like... Yes. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even tell you what we're going to do yet. You know, that's just who you are. You say, hey, you want to do a podcast? Sure. You want to jump in the river? No. So, you know, podcast. So I thought it would be fun and sort of, I don't know, put us out into maybe a space that we're a little uncomfortable, mm -hmm. particularly me, because I hardly ever do this, and talk about some of our own ideas. Right. And so what I came up with was, and here's the title, this is the three really, really really, in caps, Big Ideas for Philadelphia podcast episode. I love that title. I like the really, 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 really. Really. But the last really is in is really in caps. For real? For real, though? <laughs> <laughs> if I was back in my classroom, I used to teach some years ago sure. in middle school, and there were a few words that were banned from my classroom. 
really was not one of them, but uh, it was close. Yeah. Very nice and stuff were completely banned. If they were ever in anyone's paper, they would get dinged. And they say, well, what's wrong with Miss Meeks? What's wrong with Very? What's wrong with Nice? What's wrong with Stuff? Now some of those kids are lawyers themselves, and they read briefs, and they say, you know what, Miss Meeks, thank you for saying, no, ever use Very Nice and Stuff. And with this particular administration... <laughs> We're not going into that, I tell I you that. I hear from them more often. I had an English teacher who told me, try to form sentences without using the word, uh, the verb, to be. Oh, yeah. I and had that, that really gets you to try and form a descriptive sentence. Yeah, and you have to deepen your vocabulary mm. and really stop and think and say, hmm, what words do I know? And I had a, a journalism mentor who talked to me about reading poetry. Because at the end of the day, when you are trying to convey a message, you want to be concise. So they thought economy. And so you think about poetry. You get across incredibly huge ideas. See, mm -hmm. not really or big, but incredibly huge ideas and small bites and okay. small words. And sometimes those small words are long, but they're rhythmic and they draw you in. And so that's that's a challenge, you know, when you're speaking or whether you're writing, when you're trying to get across a message or an idea. So I'm excited about these really, 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 really? Yeah. Really, just really? Three. Oh, okay, I've lost track of really. But these big ideas for Philly. I told you she's a thinker. Okay, so we're, we have three each. Yep. Okay, and we're going to flip a coin to see who goes first. Okay. Are you ready? You want to call it in the air? I'm going to put the podcast okay. in order. Hey, I'll, I'll call. Heads or tails? Okay. I, I believe that's what this coin is. Are you sure? Yeah, heads is it double-sided double coin? Yep. Okay. You ready? Yep. Heads. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> there goes the coin. Let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll just throw it up. Okay. Whoop. Heads. Tails. Okay. All right. So I guess I go first. You go first. All right. All right. These are... This is my first really big idea for Philadelphia, okay. and it involves politics. You're hiding your ideas from me. I know. I don't want you to steal them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, politics. Here's my first big idea. Big idea. Eliminate political parties in Philadelphia. Huh. Instead, make the primary election, which is usually in Philadelphia around May, yeah. have that be a, uh, a first round. Mm -hmm. The top three candidates, and I'm basically talking about the mayor's sure. uh, race. Top, or, or could, yeah, it could be. Top three candidates move on to the general election in November. Okay. That's it. Uh, no Democrats, mm -hmm. no Republicans, mm -hmm. no you know, Workers' Party, no anything. And the reason why is because I think that the non-competitive general elections in Philadelphia are hurting the city. Mm -hmm. It's brought it into sort of a morass when it comes to big ideas. We have an enormous violence problem sure. in the city that I think would be better served with a strong opposing political party mm -hmm. to try and come up with new ideas. I mean, you look at the last mayor's election, which is going on as we speak. Yeah. The Republicans wanted to draft Daphne Goggins, who may be a very nice woman, right. but even she admitted that she may not even be able to serve as mayor because she had some mental problems. Now, what party that is trying to compete in an election would put a candidate, again, who might be a very nice woman. Absolutely. Why would they do that? That's desperation. Sam Katz is the last person who ran as a Republican in the city of Philadelphia for the mayor's job who made it a competitive race. Mm -hmm. And that was back in, when was it, 2003? Yes. 16 years ago. Yes. So now I ask you, can it happen and should it happen? Can it happen? 
Probably not. Should it happen? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, when you said that, I thought about the open primaries um, that are in certain states. Like, I believe Georgia has open primaries. And what I like about this idea, what actually what I love about this idea is that it takes into effect where we are as a society. About a third of our population and growing identifies as independent. Mm-hmm. That means they're taking the best ideas of, quote, both parties. And when you think about why political parties came together, it was really to organize people, thoughts, ideas. Well, everything is mashed together now, and it's less so about thoughts and ideas and then more into, mm, what's the best way to put it? I guess you want to say social mores. Oh, I feel this way about guns, and so I must be a Republican. I feel this way about religion, so I must be a Democrat. And it makes it sound as though you can't have an amalgamation of ideas and identify with a particular party. Mm -hmm. And so you see people leaving parties at this point. I remember (laughs) a Democratic lawmaker came up to me one time. He said, you know what? I watch you on Inside Story, and and you are a raving moderate. (laughs) I didn't know how to it's take that. It's a bad that. thing these days, isn't I, it? I did not know how to take that. It's like, okay, thank you. And he looked at me and he said, I, I can't believe you talk about school choice. I said, well, if you know anything about me, i.e., I was homeschooled, then I went to a private school, and then I spent my last year in public high school where they were teaching me things that I learned in seventh grade as a senior. Mm-hmm you would understand why perhaps I have a different viewpoint on school choice. I think it should be tailored to the students and to the families. And the students and the families should know what's best for their kid. I don't believe in the current model of still trying to teach kids with um, an agrarian culture-based education system from the 1800s. I mean, we don't use the same cars that we use in the 1950s. Why are some kids still in the same classrooms mm. built from the 1950s? Why do they spend three months not learning every year? He, he, there are so many things. They're that not working blow. on the farm anymore. No, <laughs> but there's so many things that can blow your mind about this. But to the point of your great idea, Oh, thank you. Uh, it is. No, no, truly, it is a great idea because, again, we're talking about engaging people in this marketplace of ideas. Mm-hmm. I believe that people skate by with a party tag. Oh, just vote the Democrats. And it's too easy. That's all you have to do. Or just vote the Republicans. Oh, you identify with me. I'm a Republican, so you must follow everything I have to say. Well, that's dictatorial. That's almost anti-American when you kind of think about it in those terms. I mean, if you break it down to the crassness of where we are now and mm-hmm. the polarization that we're at. And when we look at the mayor's election, and well, I say the mayor's election, but municipal elections, there are more people that will come out for a presidential race in the mayor's race, then they will come out for a judicial election or the district attorney. More people in this city are going to be in front of a judge at some point in their life than they will be in the mayor of the city of Philadelphia. The mayor of the city of Philadelphia will be in place for four years at a clip. A judge will be on the bench for 10. Yeah. Who has the greater impact on your life? Yet, when you look at the numbers, I mean, 15, 17, oh, wow, we got up to 25% turnout. Celebrate. That's pathetic. It is pathetic. And when you think about how many people lived and died for the right to vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're moving into 19, oh, not 1920, excuse me, 2020, but a century after women got the suffrage. And I run into women all the time and say, well, I don't get into politics. And, oh, I will do whatever my husband says. Are you kidding me? What year are we in? Yeah. I mean, this, this absolute abdication that too many of us have for not taking responsibility for our democracy on a local level to the national level starts 
with really having ownership. And that's why I like, love this idea of not having parties for these basic elections. Now, will it happen? We're an entrenched city. We're an entrenched state. Oh we're goodness. one of the first. So, And we're a commonwealth. We're different. We're special. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so many vested interests. I find it hard to believe. I mean, the Independent Party in Pennsylvania has been trying for at least the last three cycles uh, in the legislature to open the primary season because I always registered as an independent. Uh, as a journalist, yeah. exactly, as a journalist um, when I was younger, I remember one time this guy walked up to me and said, I know you're one of those flaming liberal Democrats. I saw your party registration. I was like, okay, let me change that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so as a young reporter, I changed my registration to independent and had been when I moved back to Philly. That didn't wash because I could only vote in one election. And, and it was the more important one. It, definitely. Yeah, and honestly, unfair. when Barack Obama ran for the presidency, I then changed my party demo, uh, party registration only because I didn't want to have some little kid come up to me years ago, years later and say, hey, when Obama ran, did you vote for him? And I say, oh, no, I was on my moral high horse, and so I didn't have anything to do with that bit of history, and yes, and that is why we are where we are today. No, I couldn't do that. And that's exactly how you would sound yes. 10 years later. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, or 30 years later. I love your big idea. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. you very much. That makes me feel good. I want to hear your first. My first big idea, drum roll please. <laughs> we are an offbeat drum roll. Uh, yeah, it was not insane. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see a service year added for every high school graduate from the public schools of Philadelphia. Hmm. And by that, I mean. After uh, senior year. Uh, after senior year, or I would even modify it where you would spend one semester, maybe junior year, in your service. And one semester in your senior year, an apprenticeship. Either way. But I look at this, and I look at where we are on a grand scale. We have a concern about the quality of workers that we have in the city. We have this whole, quote-unquote, brain drain, workforce issue, and so we want to import people. There's always a concern, oh, businesses won't land here because we don't have the workforce that's trained here. Well, how do kids get training if they don't have exposure? You know, I remember when I was dealing with stories and also later on with dealing with policy, when I realized that Philadelphia, this area, um, it was a biotech hub. That wasn't well known for many, many years, but yet it was bubbling up for a long time. At one point, we're the fourth largest biotech center in the country. Yet there were so many kids out here who had no inkling that uh, GSK was here, that they could work at a place where you're washing bottles for a biotech company and you're making more per hour than perhaps working at the standard area at places, whether it's a fast food joint or a bookstore or something along those mm -hmm. lines. Just because of exposure, they just didn't even see that as a career path, let alone moving forward. Part of it is because they just did not have those entrees into these fields. So, one... It's an opportunity to really train young people into different spaces if they were to have a gap year. But then when you look at the number of nonprofits that are in this area, I mean, there's, Philadelphia is huge with nonprofits. I think it's like something like 4,000 nonprofits that are in this area. They could all use some extra hands on deck. When we think about this aspect of civic engagement, mm -hmm. right, which we're talking about, 
why don't we have some young people who have a service year or half year working in a library or working for some sort of municipal government entity where they are actually contributing to the, um, the betterment of the community that educated them to move them forward? Why don't we have as a concept the idea that every young person comes out and gives thought about what they want to do next before just throwing them into what they do next. Sometimes they're not prepared. There are many young people who graduate from high school and maybe they don't go to four-year college, they go to community college, which is great. Mm -hmm. But too often, community college is remedial. I mean, a lot of times that first year, they're learning and actually catching up just to bring them what they should have learned in high school. That same thing goes with the workforce. You talk to some people and, and they say, you know, they're not ready for prime time. I'd love to hire a young person, but then I don't have the time to train this person and pay them. So there are great foundations out there that will offer stipends for young people. The challenge, of course, is that in Pennsylvania, the commonwealth that we are, does not give local school districts the authority to implement this type of thing. That's a great piece of legislation that could be put into place to give the school district of Philadelphia that authority. But we need to have buy-in. We need to have buy-in from the Chamber of Commerce. We need to have buy-in from, let's say, the philanthropy network. We need to have buy-in from the various institutions that could say, A, yes, we could use this labor force, not slave labor, but labor force to train. We would need to have foundations to come and support and say, yes, we could put some dollars toward this because we're talking about maybe five to 7,000 kids every year to be engaged in this. I think it would be a fantastic opportunity. Now, of course, maybe some of them get exempted out. If they say, you know what, I got this four-year ride, I'm going straight to school, that's fine. Let them do their service year when they graduate. You know, we can make exceptions. Or like you said, during their junior year. During their junior year. I mean, there are all kinds of ways that we can make it happen, but why not introduce this conversation to the broader community and say, okay, let's discuss how we better train our next generation. I love it. And I'll I'll tell you two reasons why. Number one, my father, he was in the military uh, during the Vietnam War. He, He was in the National Guard in Michigan, so he never actually went out to Vietnam. But he used to always tell me, that it would be so beneficial for everyone to have to serve mm-hmm. in the military mm-hmm. after high school, uh, even not, while we're not in wartime, which we perpetually are. Right. <laughs> People don't realize the Afghanistan war is the longest war we've ever been in. It's still not over. Correct. So that would be the first reason is, is just the value of doing something outside of the box, outside of high school, helping others. Mm-hmm. Number two, and this is coming from a parent whose son was in – Travel sports. Right. I think travel sports are weighing down and, and putting too many kids into this idea of I need to go to college and get a scholarship and play a sport. Not everyone needs to. And I think the industry has gotten so huge mm-hmm. that a lot of these children who are traveling around the country playing a sport that they're probably not going to play after high school sure. would be better served doing something like that. Mm-hmm. So and, and it would pay for itself. Yeah. And it would help you know, communities in need yes. because it's all volunteer-based. And it also would further engage citizenship. I mean, we were really talking about civic education. When people understand how their government works, a lot of times it's though they had have direct involvement. They were an intern in some lawmaker's office. They said, oh, well, this is who you call if this happens, or this is what happens when uh, you get a pothole. I worked at one point in state government for a state senator. I would get questions and say, oh, yeah, I have a pothole in my street. I say, well, you need to call the city. You don't call your state legislature. Oh, I have an immigration problem. You need to call your state (laughs) senator. I mean, you need to call your U.S. senator, not your state senator. Literally, 
people just don't know, and that goes into another idea I have. But. Oh, okay. So civics. I mean, people need to learn more about how things work. Absolutely. And they would if they were involved in sort of programs like this where they're helping out with the community. Absolutely. We're, we're two for two. Two for two. Awesome. All right, so I'm next. Pizza Friday every Friday. That's the next <laughs> idea. <laughs> Pizza for everyone. Yes. Okay, my second one is transportation-based. Okay. This is, it's big. Really. <laughs> okay, so I think Philadelphia should have its own big dig, just what? like Boston. And it would be three-pronged. Wait a minute, are we going to pay for it like Boston, like 500 well, years later? <laughs> it, it, that may be the case, because in Boston was supposed to be, what, like $3 billion? And they think it's actually going to cost up to $30 billion yeah. over time because of the lawsuits, for one thing. And But we'll, we'll get to the how we pay for <laughs> it later. decade we don't need dig. Yeah. <laughs> We don't need to worry about how to pay for it. Okay. So this would be my three ideas with the big dig okay. around here. First, rebuild the Schuylkill Expressway. Okay. Put a upper deck and a bottom deck there with four lanes on each. And then on top, a transportation line that runs on solar power. Huh. Which would probably require the Schuylkill to be closed for like seven or eight years, <laughs> which might be a deterrent <laughs> for this ever happening. But I'm thinking big. <laughs> Uh, the the second thing in our big dig would be to actually finally build a true beltway, just like Baltimore, just okay. like D.C. Mm-hmm. And we already have the roads that we can kind of do it by right. using the Blue Route, mm-hmm. the Turnpike, and 295 out in New Jersey. Right. Uh, so really it would cause you – know, we'd need to just connect them all. Okay. But it would also require us to close them all for seven or eight years, which would not be good for business. Well, the but the bike riders will love you for that. Oh, yeah. You just ride <laughs> to work from now on. And then the third thing. And I haven't really fully thought this one through, but the airport, it, it needs to change. It needs to be able to grow, mm-hmm. and it's landlocked. Mm-hmm. And my idea, and people have already told me I'm an idiot for thinking this, but it would be to split the domestic and international flights to two sites. Huh. So okay. maybe domestic remains where it is at Philadelphia International Airport. Maybe International goes to the Atlantic City International Airport or Lehigh Valley International Airport. There's an airport down in Newcastle, Delaware, where they could use that too. Maybe the domestic moves to one of these sites in International. Then you blow up the parking lot at Philadelphia International, have a tram go to another remote location like they do in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. like they do in BWI, Mm -hmm. so that they can use more of that property to build terminals, to Mm -hmm. build runways, and therefore our city could grow faster than right now. What do you think? Hmm. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> it's all crazy ideas. No, I, 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 I really love the scope of these ideas. So let's go to the Schuylkill, one of the worst <laughs> commuter experiences ever. <laughs> but um, I am not a fan of double-deckers because I have a fear of heights, and that this is personal. Or claustrophobia would be another thing, right? I also have that fear, too. So, there, you okay. know, yeah, I get two for two. For <laughs> but I can see how we can handle volume better. One thing that you notice in the city now, I mean, it's, it's so hip. Everybody wants to live here and until they don't. Then they want to be in the suburbs, but they still like the city. So then you have in this increased traffic that's ridiculously crazy and the blue route schuylkill none of it is big enough wide enough and it takes so long to build Um, by the time we build something we say oh this will solve the problem it did for 15 years ago when you got started now it's 15 time is enormous and it's huge i mean when you look at the the challenges with trying to mandate these roads now what i would love thinking with your ideas and having a high-speed railway perhaps that runs alongside the Schuylkill. 
in that you could take that instead of being yeah. actually driving. I remember I was working in Westchester. And stupid me, when I first started working in Westchester, I said, oh, it's 33 miles. There'll be no problem. Yeah, 33 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I honestly One thought that. I honestly thought that. And two hours later, trying to get to work, it's like, okay, why am I doing this again? Yeah. It was a short-lived job. But at any rate, <laughs> I see the potential for it. Um, the double-decker thing, like I said, I'm a little skittish about. Okay. Now, so let's go to the airport idea, which yeah. I also like. As long as you keep the airports equitable, because you don't want to have the dump I don't airport. See how we could do that too. You don't want to have you know? the dumpy airport to say, "Oh yeah, that's the Philadelphia domestic airport, and here's a swanky airport over here, sure. international," because then that could cause some other challenges. Mm-hmm. But as you said that, I thought about Houston because Houston has Hobby, yep. and then it has Bush, Bush. Inter- Bush yep. Intercontinental Airport, and so it will support the community because in Houston you have such great international traffic. We are picking up on the international scope because now we're finally being recognized for the world treasure that we are. And so I I see how that could work. Houston's Um, a good analogy because it's a similar size city. And one airport is mostly um, closer to neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And that's hobby. And Bush Intercontinental's way, I'll be way out there. I, I learned this going to Houston. I told my uncle, <laughs> said, yeah, I'm flying in. He says, okay, where are you going? I said, oh, they said international. He said, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I had to drive all the way out there to pick you up. I said, I didn't know. I just, it, yeah. you know, at international so that airport. Could, something like that idea could work where the, one of the airports is going to be kind of inconvenient, but yeah. it's going to be better because it's going to be easier to navigate. Yeah, right? yeah. as long as it, I, I just worry about income inequality yeah, sure. and aspects of saying, okay, if you're wealthy, you can go to this better airport. And if you're not, well, you go to the trailways of the air, i.e., you know, the trailways of the air. Well, I'll work on it then. <laughs> I like. I'll that draw concept. up some specs. I like that. I get uh, my engineering pen, and I, I'll. I like the idea <laughs> of build the, it to a smaller scale. But you know what else would be kind of cool? Like if you're going to have this like swanky airport, let's say mm-hmm. super swank. If you built a community that goes along with it, that could sort of support the super swank. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I could see that. You know, I could see that making some inroads. All right, I got you halfway then. Okay. Yeah, halfway. Okay. Halfway. Number two, Niamics. Okay, so another great idea, although I say so myself. (laughs) I have long wanted to see creative corridors in the city Hmm. built in every community. And by that, I believe it was in Kensington, um, there were plans, and this goes back about maybe 15 years ago, where they wanted to focus on the arts and artists and really develop an artistic village, so to speak, in that area of the city. I like to see that expand. I would like to see it in each section of the city, and I'd like to take it up a notch because I'd like to see a focus in each one. So if you're in West Philadelphia, for example, maybe the focus there is architecture. And so then you'll have an architectural corridor where you can have a a training center. You'll notice education and training comes up a lot in my conversations. But you'll see uh, a training center where you can go, maybe you'll pick up draftsman skills, maybe you have an opportunity to be an apprentice. You can be somewhere at a a lower cost. So I see this as a public-private partnership uh, type of investment. In another area, it might be animation. In another area, it might be filmmaking. In another area, it could be any of these realms. It could be fashion and technology. It could be uh, voice, music. So maybe it's say, you know what, I really, I really want to get into my music. 
well, they have a, a corridor in South Philadelphia that's really focused on music, where you have the space that you can go and have a studio area that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. You have um, the technicians that are there on hand because they have um, they have their own workshop that's there in their actual thriving business, and they may have had tax credits to be able to set mm -hmm. up there, and so they can operate right there in that base. So wherever you are in the city, you can have an access to it. So let's say you're in the Northeast, and maybe in the Northeast they have something, I'm not going to say puppetry. Let's see, what else could we say? It could be ceramics mm -hmm. in the Northeast, or it could be glass blowing. And maybe you don't have that propensity for glass blowing. Well, it might draw you then to South Philadelphia if you really want to get into music. So you have some cross connections across the city. Uh, sometimes we get too parochial in this town. I mean, if you no. are, <laughs> if you're from Germantown or Northwest, and that's all you know and, uh -huh. and breathe, maybe Center City, but you know you stay in your lane, so to speak. But this can kind of help draw people out, almost like a magnet school. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really truly interested in the animation studio component of it because when you look at the gaming industry, the gaming industry last year just grew by about 18 percent. It's one of the fastest growing aspects of entertainment. And one of the converse sides of that is that you see a lot of those developers are living hand to mouth. And they're in these big cities there in L.A., they're in New York, and even smaller cities like Austin. But they can't afford the price of the city that they're living in based on the salaries. Even though the games are making billions and billions, mm -hmm. the game developers are not. They're freelance artists, and they're just not able to afford these high rents I read a story of this young man who was uh, making $50,000 a year in San Francisco, where the I mean, rent for a one-bedroom was like four grand, so four grand for a one-bedroom apartment, mm -hmm. and he's making 50 before taxes. So imagine awesome. that. Philadelphia should be that hub. I mean, it's affordable. It's affordable. Especially when you're out in the neighborhood. Absolutely. And then think about what we have here. We have some of the first art schools. I mean, we have PAFA. We have the Philadelphia Museum of Art. We have the Art Institute. Well, we had the Art Institute. Let me back that up. <laughs> we have the University of the Arts. But we have all these various components, out and not to mention Drexel University. So we have these uh, programs. And there are programs in, like, Widener and Westchester and such dealing with these various elements we have this natural built-in base, and that's formal education. I'd like to see these corridors so that you have lay education that can also take place. Maybe you're a kid who has this talent or propensity. You could be a young woman who's always wanted to know how to uh, design a bag, or you were always good at that. You had no idea how to break into that industry. Well, this would be an opportunity. I love it, and two reasons. First of all, you're using existing infrastructure, the creativity of the people who live in these neighborhoods. And people don't, they always, everyone focuses on Center City, obviously. Right. And, and people don't realize the richness of all sorts of different scenes that we have. Uh, like West Philadelphia comes to mind, the music scene, yeah. and how great artists all live out there. Yes. And people don't know it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the other thing. I love how, you know, the idea of forming connections to these things that, mm -hmm. Uh, already exist, it shouldn't be that hard. No. I mean, when you think about it, this city has always had a reputation for developing strong musicians, jazz musicians. I mean, we have a long history where people will come from Philly and they'll go other places mm -hmm. because they were never able to really make a living staying here where they can go to L.A. or they can go to New York and make more money, fame and notoriety, etc. Same thing with photography. We have a rich history of photography in this city and great photographers. But again, it's sort of like it's underground thing. 
um, back to the biotech example, we have these existing uh, profiles, we have these existing businesses and entities, but we're not plugging in. And get, I kind of get annoyed, and I say this is a fifth-generation Philadelphian. I get annoyed when people say, oh, yes, we had to bring in some talent. We have talent yeah. here. Yeah. We overlook our talent here. We uh, say, oh, yes, we need to appeal to millennials. We've had millennials here for millennia. Okay, there are plenty of this twenty. Is like one of the original here. millennial cities, Hello. where they, they flocked here. Hello, always have. I mean, you know, even back in Jefferson's day, Washington's day, this was the hip spot. But I mean, moving forward, we've always been an innovative type of place. But we've kind of gotten this this complacency and or sense, oh, these other people are doing it better. Okay. So up your We're game. We're already doing it. We did it first. Yeah. So let's retool it. You mean let's remix it. We can do that because we have the raw materials. So let's talk about shaping those raw materials. I, I love the idea too because it's organic. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We're, this is going well. We are grooving here. This the last one is going to be controversial for me, Uh-oh. and I hate that word because it's used so often. Okay. But it kind of describes this. Matt, let's go. This this is gun violence. Okay. I think it's it's the the true crisis of this city that that no one seems to have any really good answers this is just a possible solution of many okay. that we need because mm-hmm. i think it's a multi yeah. yes yes mm-hmm. chris rock uh, okay chris rock is your solution well in 1999 <laughs> okay he did a routine which appeared on hbo mm-hmm. it was called bigger and blacker yes and in that special he had a routine called bullet control mm-hmm. and you I'm sure you probably know what this is now. His idea was to make bullets cost five thousand mm-hmm. dollars each, mm-hmm. and everyone laughed because he said, "You know what? There's not going to be any innocent bystanders anymore because no one's going to shoot someone if it's going to cost them five thousand yep. dollars." Now, what should we do? I don't think the bullet should be five thousand dollars, but I think Philadelphia City Council should draft a bill that the mayor should sign that taxes every bullet sold in Philadelphia by 100%. The only stipulation is if you purchase a bullet at a gun range and use it there, there is no tax, okay? So you can still use your weapons and, and train or whatever at a gun range and, and use them. But if you take a bullet and put it in your gun and take it to your house, it's going to cost you a lot more. The state, Harrisburg, immediately will shut this down. I know that. But... Hopefully. I heard lines blowing in Harrisburg. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they've told Philadelphia already you can't make your own gun laws. Sure. Uh, so what I hope it would do if they would pass a bill like that is to bring attention, to bring this idea up to the forefront, and maybe other cities will see this, try the same thing, mm-hmm. and maybe we can start moving closer to solutions. I love the fact that we had a mind meld on this one. No, <laughs> seriously. Because you always hear the argument – you know, first, I mean, Second Amendment, I have the right to bear arms. That's true. You can buy as many guns as you want. No one said, I had to sell you bullets. No one said that bullets should be accessible to you. I believe if you want to own a gun, fine. If you look at it as a sculpture, or as a, it's a beautiful work of art, Which blah, some blah, do. blah. Yeah. Some people do. Some people look at it as, as saying, I need security in my home. Get that. How many bullets do you need to secure your home? How many clips? How many cartridges? I understand the desire to shoot. It, it is a sport as well. I think you should be able to go to a gun range and blow up as much as you want to at a gun range. And that's where it should stay. In the streets, you don't need that many bullets out here in the streets. And so I love the idea, honestly. I wonder about also the feasibility because then you'll have people that just hop to Jersey or hop to Delaware. I know. And that, that, but that hopefully there will be a contagion of, yeah. of 
bills it, you know, bordering states and whatever. And also, if this were to happen, it would take care of the problem that people also mentioned, is that there already are more guns than people in the United States. Yes. But, <clears throat> like, like you said, you have to put bullets in them for, to make them work. Right. And, I, I, again, it gets down to the idea of trying to deter the violence, which comes from the bullets. Truly, if you charge $500 bullet, you're going to have some gun dealers that say, hey, I'll, I, you can't do that to me. You're taxing you know, this specific industry. You're targeting us. There'll be some constitutional battles and such. But I believe a savvy lawyer might be able to craft something, at least to get people thinking about that and say, huh, how can we craft legislation that still respects the Second Amendment? You have the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Those are the arms. It says nothing about the right to bear bullets in that document. And I, as far as I know, the arm deals with the gun, not the bullet. So, you you know, make your own bullets. You can always do that. And then you know, 3D printers, unfortunately, are going to be able to do that. Yeah, but then... already. Yeah, that's true. And then I guess people can make ice bullets and they can shoot people and then the evidence goes away. I mean, you can get inventive. I mean, really, I'm just trying to start a conversation. And because I think, I think that we're, we're so locked on either side, entrenched, mm-hmm. where no one wants to listen to the other side to try and form a mutual understanding or, or a, a moderate solution right. that both sides can be happy with. And I don't think people live the life, honestly. I mean, one of the downsides of living in the city that I love is almost every night I go home, I see police activity. Mm-hmm. I see sirens going by. If it's a night I drive home from work or if I'm coming home from an event or something and I don't see sirens, I'm happy. I mean, it really gets to be a point of depression when you hear bullets flying. That shouldn't be a reality. And I'm a grown person. I can only imagine how that's impacting children. You know, I remember when I was a kid growing up here, you know, you hear about a shooting. It was a big deal. And then it was a fearful thing. It's like, my God, will I get shot in the street? Will it happen to me? It scared me. At that time, it was the crazy people. I remember um, when the mass shootings happened at the, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Springfield Mall. Yeah, Somebody came out. Yeah, Yeah. and just started shooting up. I didn't want to sit in a parking lot by myself after that because I was afraid that someone would come and start shooting. And we magnify that to the nth degree of where kids are today. So the conversation and the focus on bullets would probably focus people's attention to start thinking about alternative ways to address violence and alternative ways to address gun violence. Because to your point, it is a multi-pronged issue. There are so many elements to it, but part of it is getting people in a room to recognize this is an issue. It's not a this moral issue. This is not issue. okay that our homicide rate Why is do we accept five this? times higher per capita than New York City. I mean, and we're so much smaller. And why is this okay? Because the victims you think look a certain way or live in a certain area, so it's okay? We're talking about human lives. You know, we're talking about human capital. We already talked about the fact that we have all this talent out here. It it bothers me when people read stories and say, oh, someone was killed. Oh, that's a shame. They sound like a pretty decent person. They should have been killed. Oh, so this other person who may have had some troubles in their life, it's okay for their life to be ended? I, I have problems with that. I have problems with the normalization, the acceptance that, you know, well, X percent of our city is going to die a violent death. That. 
I don't understand it, it's but not, it shouldn't be acceptable. No, for anybody, not for anybody. That actually kind of dovetails on that idea I had. Cool. Yeah. All right, so number three, Nia Meeks. My last idea really builds on an idea that's been bubbling out here that I love, and it deals with the environment. And it deals with the environment and also the issues uh, that help underlie gun violence, depression, mm-hmm. um, and mental illness. And that deals with the park in a truck concept. Park in a truck is about building green spaces in lots or what have you all around the city. It's looking at the fact that in areas that are economically depressed, there's not enough access sometimes to green space mm-hmm. and how that can transform lives. And I thought about it. When I was a youngin', as <laughs> we like to say, I um, built a garden in my backyard. And I was a little nine-year-old kid, and I mean, I'm in the middle of North Philly, and I have a vegetable garden. This was well before they got to be popular with sure. the community gardens and such. It brought such peace to me. On the afternoons, I'd come home after school, and during the summertime, you know, putting my garden and such together. And people would stop, and they'd look and say, oh, wow, that's really cool. And then I had some naysayers. Oh, people just destroy their vegetables. They're going to tear your tomatoes and smash them. It never happened. And why it never happened because there was a respect to say, oh, wow, somebody not only took the time to do this, this is beautiful. I like this. In my neighborhood, when I see plots of dirt, it's on my block, and all these weeds spring up, or the old planters where there are older people on the com- in the community, and they can't deal with the planters and the weeds and such. I'll take the weeds out, and, you know, I'll pull them all up. I find some flowers, I plant them, and I, again, naysayers. Oh, somebody's going to come and trample that. That won't last long. End of the summer, the plants are beautiful. The kids stop by. They watch the bumblebees. They watch the butterflies. There is a calming aspect to having green space and having gardening. And I don't think that we pay enough attention to that, which is strange in the city of John Bartram, which is strange in the city of Ben Franklin, which is strange in the city where zoological societies were born, where we really started to focus on plants and plant life and greenery and green space. We haven't in more recent times. I think every city household, every city... um, Every city house or row home or whatever should have flower boxes in the very least in their windows. That would help calm people because putting your hand in the dirt, watching something grow, even when you get frustrated when it doesn't grow, mm-hmm. say, okay, you have to step back and say, I'm not in control here. Uh, somebody else is in control. <laughs> but, I mean, you could look at articles in Psychology Today. You listen to Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. There are, there's abundant literature out there that talks about the fact that gardening, green life, green space is great. And the truck, I mean, excuse me, the park and a truck concept is that you have all this dirt, gravel, and what have you, and they find a lot, you plop all this crap down, you work it, and you can decide what kind of green space you want. Is it going to be a community garden? Is it going to be a park? Is it going to be a place for chess? Growing up in the city as a kid, we used to play chess on the front steps. And I love chess. I love it. You know, chess and checkers. And it was said, well, those kids don't do anything but get into devilment because they live in North Philly and blah, blah, blah. We would have chess tournaments. We would play games. There was a sense of community that was built to the point of violence and guns. When that really picked up, people retreated in their homes. But just like National Night Out, if you have these parks, these public spaces, maybe it was a lot as opposed to junkies and as opposed to drug dealers and bad things happening in that lot, can we take that space back, even if it's for a limited time, 
and create something beautiful that people can gather. Great idea. Uh, I'm from Detroit, Michigan. Detroit! Yeah, Detroit Rock City. Detroit! I'm the original Motor City Madman. But <laughs> Did you go to Castle Renaissance? Uh which are these schools? These are high there? schools. I was only in, uh, I was five when I moved Okay. Out. I'm mostly from Philadelphia. Yeah, okay. All right. So Detroit has found itself with a problem. It has an enormous amount of open space. Yes. And Tracks it's nice to see grass there yes. rather than dilapidated homes. And Philadelphia is in the same situation where right. we've lost, you know, homes to, you know, Builders putting them on top of ash, which is not a very good idea. Good Lord. Uh, but and neighborhoods that you know just have died, right. and there's one home left, and they buy right. the person out. And I think it would be great to be less of a concrete jungle mm-hmm. and more of a place of greenery, which is what William Penn wanted in the first place. And it's what we are. I mean, we literally are a city in the park. Unlike, let's say, Central Park in New York, where they had to construct a park, you go anywhere in the city, you knock something down, something green is going to sprout mm-hmm. because that's what the space is. I didn't. Re- I had a girlfriend who came to visit me, and she said, you don't like trees. I said, I love trees. I like them on reservations. I like them parks. I don't like them springing up all over the place like you guys have in Seattle. But the whole concept is... I mean, this city, you don't realize, just like the art that's public, whether it's sculptures or murals, it's part of who you are. When you look at the architecture, it infuses who you are, and so does the greenery. Everyone is an environmentalist when you scale it down to what's in front of them in their own backyards. And if you can get people to care about their flower beds or their little shrub, then maybe you can get them to pay attention to the bigger issues of the environment, and then those issues don't seem so big. They seem scalable because they got started right in their own backyard. The air becomes fresher. Yes. Uh, it doesn't get as hot in the Cooler. summertime. Yes. There's less concrete out there, more grass to mm-hmm. absorb the heat. Yep. It's a good idea. Well, awesome. <laughs> I mean, I'm with you. So, you know, you stimulate them, man. We cultivate these ideas. Matt for president. Matt for president. Of what? <laughs> great ideas. This room? <laughs> president of great ideas. How about that? I'll be your vice. This was fun. Yay. Because I got to hear some things that you've been thinking about. You got to hear some things I've been thinking about. And... It was a nice little discussion. I really enjoyed it. It's an awesome way to get the week started. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, we're doing this on a Monday, by the way. Yeah. How about that? All this percolation on a Monday. <laughs> How about that? We are sh- so sharp. So this is, I want to get this to make sure I, I say it correctly. This was the three really, really, really big ideas for Philadelphia podcast episode with Nia Meeks. And Matt O'Donnell. I will see you on Inside Story soon. Yes, you shall. And we will maybe tease some of these ideas out a little bit more. Maybe other people will be listening and they will go into application. All right. That's the podcast, True Philadelphia, with Nia Meeks. Over and out. Stay true, Philadelphia. Thanks to Nia for her time and that fabulous cup of cappuccino she served me before the podcast taping. You can see her again from time to time on Inside Story, Sundays at 11.30 a.m. on 6ABC. Thanks to you for listening. Check out my many previous episodes. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Let's keep this conversation going. I'm Matt O'Donnell. This has been the True Philadelphia Podcast. Stay true, Philadelphia.